It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? A lot of people think this is the year of the Chargers. Vegas handicappers, NFL insiders. Fortunately, I've been down this road before. Another reminder that the Chargers didn't make the playoff last year. NFL Network, another reminder that the Chargers did not make the playoffs last year. They lost in Las Vegas. Get me some anti-Charger stuff in here now. Sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. They have the choke G. They choke. The Chargers with the C, they choke. I should have nine lines packed every segment destroying the Chargers. Use the phone like a weapon. I want an all-out assault from the Raider Nation on the opposition. Just win, baby. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two, JT Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. and on the Raiders mobile app as we're brought to you by Resorts World. I was there last night with my wife, and we had a great time for Luke Bryan. The screen was incredible. One of the greatest screens I've ever seen for a concert. Doghouse, where I host Monday Night Football, was packed. And they had the Cowboy Christmas there, the rodeo in town, and Luke Bryan put on one hell of a show. My wife did not sit down. She knew every song. She was going crazy and uh, happy life with a happy wife. So, again, thanks to Resorts World. I got a chance to bring in my friend Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5, the sports director who just came from practice. How are you, Kevin? Doing great, JT, and uh, great to be in studio in person with you. Yeah, love having you in here when our schedules are able to uh, sync up like this. You were at practice. What did you see? I know it was limited time, especially availability. Well, the main thing we're looking for is who's on the field, and the two main ones that we wanted to see was Josh Jacobs and Nate Haas. Both were on the field for the stretching part, and when they broke off into their individual groups, and then when they get together as a team, of course, that's when the media is escorted out. But to see both Hobbs and Jacobs out there, probably in a limited capacity is what will come out on the injury report later on. But the fact that they're there is a good sign that maybe things are angling towards a good uh, outcome for them to play on Sunday. With your travel schedule and being the lead media partner with this team, I wanted your perspective on Josh Jacobs and what you've seen. You're on the field you're there when the GM's coming off the field with the head coach. You heard the crowd when Josh Jacobs broke free. What has it been like covering this special year for Josh Jacobs as the all-time single-game rushing leader? You know, he has stayed the same, which is exactly what Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have been kind of preaching. No highs, no lows. His focus has been laser the entire year. We saw it in OTAs. Uh, you know, once once the decision was made to not pick up the option during the weekend of the draft, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seemed to, to kind of refocus Josh Jacobs that this is obviously every year is important for an NFL player. But when you're in a contract year and you're essentially playing for your NFL life, not just with this organization, but maybe another team as well, you could see that that he is all in and all focused and he is he has been businesslike. Uh, and he is enjoying every second of it, but he has also said all the right things. It's about the win. It is not about him doing 300-plus all-purpose yards, the 229 on the ground, the two TDs, the, the you know player, offensive player of the week. The most important thing to him is the win, and I think that that's exactly the type of player that they're looking to have on this roster. Kevin Bollinger in studio. Check out this stat, and I'm sure you saw it since 1950. The only player with 225 rushing yards and 70 yards receiving. 1950. So I interviewed Josh McDaniels today, and I asked him because he lives in Canton, and he understands the history of this. That is one takeaway for this season, depending on what the season record is at the end. Max Crosby, Josh Jacobs, Devontae, who's on pace to put up some unbelievable numbers. 
Just wish the Raiders had more wins, and you were on those road trips when the Raiders just couldn't buy a win. What's it like now with the energy around the team after these overtime victories? Well, it's, it's obviously uh, kind of uh, building a little bit of a vibe, and mm-hmm. uh, as Max Crosby told me after the game in Seattle on Sunday, it is lit in the locker room right awesome. now. And that's what you want to hear because we did see kind of that down, you know, kind of time during that 11-day stretch in Florida and New Orleans with the the whole trip in between, and and they they lost two tough games, one where they didn't put up any points and the other one where they blew the big lead. Uh, And I think that this team kind of bounced back a little bit to try and uh, get their mojo back, and and they're starting to feel it, and it's starting to build, and you're starting to see the offense kind of click in a little bit more. It's becoming a little bit more... Uh, to, to where things, everybody just seems to be be rolling with it, and and it's weird to see this team from week one against the Chargers mm-hmm. to where they are now, and I think they progressed so much, especially in the last few weeks. Kevin Bollinger, Fox Five. So let's get into the Charger game here. This is always a big game for me. I, I used to go to every one in San Diego. I think it was seventeen, eighteen years I didn't miss one, and then all the games in Oakland. I saw Junior Seau, Ladanian Tomlinson, Rivers. Just some of these games. Antonio Gates. I mean, what a brilliant player. And that, on the other side, some of the great Raiders to play in this game. And the Chargers always came into Oakland like they had to get out of jail. They looked at it as a trip to the jail where they had to get out and they had to have their mind Locked in. I remember Junior Sale walking over to the black hole and flipping everybody off. I remember Rivers running to the bench behind him. They always had a level of intensity. Now we fast forward and look back at last year where Dean Spanos, the owner, was on the field for overtime. And Staley went for it on 4th and 18. Next thing you know, the Raiders have an opportunity to win. Are they going to kick a field goal? Are they going to go for it? Take me back to that game, for those who weren't there for that. I think that's one of the top four moments in Vegas sports history. And since the Raiders moved here, by far the most electric that Elysian yes, Stadium has absolutely. been for a Raider game. And if they can match that on Sunday with the Chargers and and make it a place where the Chargers don't want to come to, like they didn't want to come to Oakland, like they didn't want to come to the Coliseum when they were in L.A. because it made them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And and that is the type of, of home atmosphere that the Raiders want to, to have. So uh, that game at the end of the year last season uh, was a defining really moment, I think, for the Las Vegas Raiders, sure. and it's something that we're going to look back uh, on uh, later on as saying, all right, this was a, a big moment in the franchise uh, of getting things going, but I think it's something that they can hang their hat on, and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, if, if that can be matched because it, while the stakes aren't as high as they were in, in the last week last year, when you consider, and I hate to say the word playoff implications yeah. with the slow start, but if the Raiders are going to make a, a run here and the schedule looks like that there's the possibility they could and get back into the conversation, it has to happen this Sunday first. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5, right here in Vegas, sports director. He covers everything in town. So a couple other things on, let's go with Justin Herbert, because I don't think, you know, everybody when they talk about Derek rightfully says he doesn't have a defense. Right about Derek over the years. He's had a defense, but somewhere ranked in 25 to 29. Then Derek's had to deal with all the turnover, the coaches and the offensive coordinators. That's real. That is a real issue. I look at Herbert. His team's always hurt. I don't know if Keenan Allen's going to play or Mike Williams. And I got to the point, and I hope I'm not jinxing this, but every time I do the pregame when the Chargers play, I'm like, those guys don't play. They're never available in this series, and maybe they catch one ball or two. Now, maybe this is the game one of them gets two touchdowns. But the fact is, without Bosa, 
J.C. Jackson, who was the number one free agent cornerback, his inability to play this year. This team is decimated by injuries, too. Then you look at the Raiders without Waller and Renfro and what they've been missing on the defensive side. Wouldn't it be great to see this game at full strength? It would. Wouldn't it be amazing? <laughs> we, we did. Uh, you know, they were both at full strength yeah. in week one for the most part. And uh, I think that, you know, the Chargers are getting healthier, but I think the Raiders, outside of Renfro and Waller, are probably as healthy as they've been since early on in the Good season point. as well. So I think that that's going to help. And, you know, when we talked to Derek Carr yesterday when he had his media availability, one of the big questions, Khalil Mack had a monster game against the Raiders in week one, and he seemed to be in Derek Carr's face consistently. But now the, there's a little more stabilization with the offensive line. And because of the injuries with the Chargers, it'll be interesting to see how that's going to take place and how, how much pressure Derek Carr is going to get this week compared to what he saw in week one, which was a lot. Yeah, and I've said this before. It's interesting when Derek plays this team because Max's best friend, or one of them with Devontae, and Bosa always teases him like it's high school. Like Bosa always puts something out there about, well, he'll go down, or he doesn't like the pressure and all that. Without Bosa here... That makes a little bit of a difference. I just asked Dave Ziegler about it, and I'll ask you about Max, who you talk to all the time in the locker room. He's got an opportunity to be the defensive player of the year. I don't think records should have anything to do with it. I repeat, all our listeners want to make this clear. I don't care if you lead Major League Baseball in home runs on a last-place team. If you lead the NBA in scoring on a last-place team, I think you should be worthy for individual awards. This is getting some steam now because of the tackles for losses and his play against the run on top of the sacks. And he's been the focus of other teams to try and stop him all season long, and he's still putting up those types of numbers. And that's made it even more impressive for what he has been able to do. He is the one player on the Raiders defensively that you can bet in every single film session it is we've got to figure out a way to slow him down. And he, and he is one of those players where you're not going to stop him. You can only hope to contain him, to use the old cliche yeah. line. But, uh, and that's what's been most impressive about Max Crosby is they, other teams have done everything they can, and he's still doing what he's doing. The guy wreaks havoc everywhere you Incredible. go, any part of the field. Just uh, fun to watch. Really fun to watch. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. One more Raider question. You interviewed Derek. I love when you get that access before everybody in the preseason, and Derek gives you, pretty much you in this town, that sit-down for 10 or 15 minutes. What have you learned about Derek this season from training camp up into this game going against the Chargers? Well, you know, as you've talked about, uh, he's gone through a lot of coaches. He's gone through a lot of coordinators. He's gone through a lot of offensive systems. His football smarts are, are really off the charts because it, it takes a lot to, to get all these systems down very quickly, and he is the quarterback. He's at the controls to do that. So uh, I think that his, his football IQ is so high that that has helped him a lot. But to me, the one thing that's carried over in our conversations is it's about culture, and, and the locker room culture is extremely important to him, and he knows that it translates onto the field. We saw that last year. The culture in that locker room carried them over through everything that happened both yeah, on yeah. and off the field to make that run, to make the playoffs. And I think that the culture with a big turnover on the roster this year maybe started a little bit slower, but it's starting to, to become a little bit tighter. And it's always great to have a good culture when you win. It's easier to do when you're winning games in overtime with walk-off touchdowns. But that is as important to him as everything else, too, because he knows that there's going to be a trickle-down effect when you have 
a good culture in the locker room. Kevin, I want to spend the last few minutes that we have about Vegas because we both love living here. We love sports, and we were here before the Golden Knights and obviously the Raiders. So I'm just going to throw a couple of events at you. First off, UNLV fired Marcus Arroyo. We'll find out what happens. That's swirling right now, but they won the cannon. And you guys have rights to UNLV, too. And it just seems like every couple of years they get a guy. They think it's going to be that guy. They have the facility. And now they have a Legion Stadium. Is this ever going to turn the corner? Because unless they get more name, image, and likeness, and they have more opportunity from these so-called boosters to really throw some money into this, I don't know how they get out of this. I can't get my head wrapped around how some kids want to play at Iowa State or in Pullman, Washington or some tiny town in Mississippi, but they don't want to play in Vegas, and Vegas isn't their first choice. Yeah, I think that uh, they're starting to run out of excuses. It right. used to be facilities. They can't say facilities anymore. They're top-notch in the Mountain West and, and probably in the entire West Coast in terms of, of football facilities, both practice-wise and, and, of course, Allegiant Stadium. And it is tough when you're talking about outside of Nevada for a football coach or a basketball coach to go in and sit down in a family's living room and say, I want you to send your kid to Las Vegas at 18 years old. There's a worry from a parent standpoint about who's going to be mining the store with my kid in Las Vegas when there's so many temptations. But if you look back at the history of this football program at UNLV, they have not had off-field issues. They have not had players get into a whole lot of trouble. Good academics. Uh, good academics. There's been n- no controversy with players doing things uh, you know, that people think would happen if you send a kid to Vegas. So uh, I think that that track record could help build some momentum. But there needs to be some continuity in terms of, of the coaching staff, I think. And, and that's why this hire is so important to get somebody who's not looking at this as a stepping stone and who wants to be here and build this thing the right way. And if that means an older coach who's been around the block and says, look, I want to sit here and I want to make this thing right and then I want to to retire here, then then that would yeah. be a, a great hire. If they could find somebody that has the, the uh, experience to, to make an impact right away, but also want to sustain it and not jump to a power five. Yeah, Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5, as we wrap it up, I thought Marcus Arroyo deserved one more year, one more year because he coached two of them through COVID and couldn't see his players. I mean, you got to take that into play. I want to talk about F1. I went to the F1 kickoff at Caesars, saw the cars, talked to some people behind the scenes. You and I have been here for some of the biggest boxing matches in the world, in UFC, and this is going to be bigger than almost anything. I wonder how it's going to compare to the Super Bowl when the Raiders get it. What are you hearing in the newsroom and behind the scenes? you got contacts all over town. People are calling me, asking me, hey, do you have a hotel hookup? I said, what'd you say? <laughs> you got a hundred grand for three nights? I can get you through to someone. This is insane. How big of an event is this? It, part of me wants to send my family out of town for the weekend and put my house up you for should, a little yeah. uh, short-term rental. Absolutely. I think uh, <laughs> might be able to make some side coin. Uh, it, it's a worldwide spectacle, and, and it's going to be interesting because the Super Bowl is uh, for businesses for the most part. It's a corporate affair, right? Uh, and I think F1 has that element to it. But the fans with the, a Super Bowl are usually American or, or North American for the most part. This F1 is going to bring in people from all over the world to watch this. All different types of countries, all different type of backgrounds coming to Las Vegas, many of them for the first time for this sporting event. And they're going to uh, you know, stretch that trip out a little bit sure. and spend a lot of money here. And if 
they put the show on like we know Las Vegas can put the show on. Those people are going to back, go back to, to where they live and tell them about the experience and it's just going to build and grow and it's going to help not only the F1 as it continues to, to go happen here in Las Vegas over the years, but I think it just helps the city as a whole for people to make it a destination and say, look, this is the place where you can go. If you're going to go to the United States on a trip, you need to make sure that you put Vegas on the agenda. And I think that's what the F1 uh, does as well. Last one before you go, Golden Knights. Just super start this year, a little bump in the road. Now get back on the winning track here. Look, I think it's Stanley Cup or bust. A lot of people said after last year not making the playoffs, come on. Pump the brakes. Just get back to the playoffs. No, this is a playoff team. This is a really good team right now. And I think everybody in this community has got to get behind this Stanley Cup type of run. Do you feel it? Bill Foley said at the very beginning when they announced the team, Cup in six. I saw him on opening night. He said, I'm standing by what I'm saying. Cup in six. And that's this is year six. So he is... Uh, going to make sure that he gives all the assets for them to have the best shot. They've got, uh, you know, guys that are are performing and are healthy, which has been the biggest thing so far. If they can avoid those big injuries as they move through the season uh, and stay healthy, especially when they get into April when the playoffs start, uh, why not this team? It's going to be very interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline, though, if they decide to to tweak anything with the roster, mm-hmm. bring in a veteran goaltender or anything else, or do they stand pat with what they have? That's going to be an important decision for Kelly McCrimmon and Georgia. Can you me. ask our mutual friend Chris Matthews along with you, can I get one of those invites to Montana to the Foley Ranch? <laughs> you guys get to go. I don't get to go. I watch Yellowstone now. I'll get the cowboy hat. I want to go up to Mr. Foley's Ranch, drink that good wine, and experience it. That's always a fun trip. One of the best experiences of my life. It was really? spectacular. Uh, wow. I And, you know, Incredible golf course that he has built there, a top 100 golf course in the world that I uh, have the chance to play. But a, a really good uh, setup that, that Bill Foley has has created out there in Montana, and it was a lot of fun. All right, Tommy White's going to join us coming up from the 872 Laborers. He and his team built the stadium. Kevin, thanks so much for coming in. Always a pleasure, JT. My pleasure. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5. Fox 5, keep it on Fox 5 for all your in-depth Raiders coverage as a proud partner, especially behind the scenes. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com on USC coming to town and what happens with this potential playoff and Tommy White from the 872 Laborers. Because I need to take a breath. We've been talking a long time today and Kevin was kind enough to give us almost 20 minutes right here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Yeah, I think I think all season we've wanted to be balanced. You know, that's any offense you watch watch with Josh, um, head coach Josh. Uh, you know, he's always wanted to balance attack. You know, even when the Patriots were winning big, and you know they were still running the ball super efficiently uh, in the playoffs and down the stretch and all those things. So uh, it's something that we want to do. But some game situations, you know, get you out of that a little bit because of the clock. You know, clock running and. Not being able to get out of bounds is easy and all that kind of stuff. So um, for us, we're, we're always trying to be a balanced attack. Um, I don't know, probably all wing T this week, though. Triple option, all that stuff. Derek Carr, he's excited. I like when he talks about Josh McDaniels with the Patriots and the success they had. Turn up the Luke hey, Bryan I went last night. Keep dropping that plow, bailing that hay, feeding them cows from the roost to crow till another long day is gone. Country.
Sunday. So I went to the show last night with my wife and uh, late arriving tickets, and we went in there. My wife loves country music. She grew up with Alabama. She loves anything country. So she was so excited to go, and I went last night. Uh, my friends at Remy Martin team up for excellence. I had another couple of friends there that were just good people to hang out with, and we had a great night. No cervezas. It was a school night for me. I had to interview the head coach. And on top of that, the GM today. So I enjoyed it. My wife had a great time. And thanks to Resorts World and our proud partner, Remy Martin. And I want to remind everybody that we got a toy drive coming up from Mulligan's and Goldfinger's Bar that are supporting each other and supporting us. Join Goldfinger's and Mulligan's Bar and Grill for the 10th annual toy and bike drive, as all donations will help support underprivileged kids in Las Vegas. This is amazing. Remy Martin and Mulligan's wants to exceed last year's total of 50 bikes. So please help crush last year's number with a generous donation of an unwrapped toy, bike, or scooter by December 15th. I am pledging personally a bike from me today and my wife. We will donate a bike and hopefully you will donate a bike and help us out here. They also have a charity big wheel, green machine race to also raise cash donations. Yes, you heard it right here. Adults racing on large big wheel tracks. Come race. A green machine. So we appreciate Remy Martin as we continue on here. And we'll be taking, uh, we'll be talking to Tommy White coming up here from the 872 Laborers. But I'm going to the game with USC coming up here. It's a big one. Pete Futak, one of the premier college football insiders in the country, carved out some time for us. And Pete, there's normally chaos this time of year, but now we got Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. Do you like this for? Yeah, that's what it's supposed to. I mean, you're right. We were supposed to have – this was supposed to be wild and wacky. I mean, look, Tennessee gagged. Otherwise, they, they would have been more in the mix here. Uh, Clemson gagged. Or else they gagged away that game against South Carolina. Oh, then it would be in the fight here in the argument here. LSU uh, with its loss to Texas A&M. That basically ended that. So now it's pretty boring. I mean, like, here's the problem with all this in the setup when you don't have – an expanded college football playoff. Because think about it this way. If USC beats Utah on Friday night, you, you kind of don't need to watch anything on Saturday because it doesn't matter because we know the four teams by then. Um, and even if USC does lose to Utah, we kind of know the, the, what happens because Ohio State's probably in. And that's basically it. So imagine, though, and like you said, like if this is the, we get to the expanded college football playoff, if that happens, if the Rose Bowl plays ball here, uh, then Saturday becomes like one of the five best days on the sports calendar because the champions all get in. So eventually it's going to happen. So where do you stand on the big picture that other people are writing about too, that there's no risk-reward here? There's, there's no game for Ohio State. There's no game for Alabama, and they can benefit why the teams in front of them are playing in a conference championship and have something to lose. Kind of been always that way. It's, it's been Ohio State benefited from that one year. Uh, Alabama certainly benefited from it. Uh, 2019, what was the year where they, the two at a Devontae Smith national championship, they, they benefited from that, but yeah, I'm with it. And so the, that's kind of why it's part of the problem here is you're supposed to have people who can like take all that package it up and decide who's the four most, who are the four most worthy teams. Is it the four best, the four teams that are the most deserving we're really going off the whims and thoughts of a panel of judges here who are totally not transparent about this. And this stinks. I mean, they're not get, they don't talk about, well, we're not going to project anything here. Well, then how is anybody supposed to know what they have to do or 
how much to say TCU could lose by or if, you know, if Alabama has any real shot or just any of this because we're going off what they believe, and that's not really fair. There's got to be a mechanism where you can honestly play your way in this without having to wait for the, the panel of judges to decide who's worthy and who's not. Pete Futex, our guest. Uh, Pete, it should be pretty safe to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that TCU is in if they win, no matter if it's by one point, yep. three points, four. They're, they're yep. safe here, right? They just got to take no care question. of business. No question at all. And even if they lose, they're probably in. Uh, but it, it, it would really help them if USC loses. If USC loses, then there's your slot for Ohio State to get in because the college football playoff has yet to take a two-loss team, much less a two-loss team that didn't win its Power 5 Conference Championship. So in that case, there's the opening there that says Ohio State can get in. A 12-1 team that doesn't win its Power 5 Conference Championship but gets there like TCU has, which – by the way, we have yet to have in the college football playoff era. It's been very, very chalky. We have yet to have uh, that undefeated team that gets upset in, the, in a Power 5 championship game in the CFP era. But let's say that happens. As long as Utah beats USC, then I think TCU is in no matter what. And it's absolutely no doubt about it, quest, no question in at least the three seed uh, if it uh, beats uh, Kansas State. Pete Feudtech, collegefootballnews.com. So you just cleared that up beautifully for our audience. Everyone in the state of Ohio, Ohio State fans all over the world, root against USC. Absolutely. Get those Utah pom And you know what? Get the Utah pom-poms out, and it goes against every fiber of every Ohio State fan's being. But root for Michigan to destroy Purdue. Because if, if they just kind of eke by Purdue – kind of makes that loss look a little bit worse. But if, if Michigan comes out and just goes like 58-2 to two or something like this, then it's like, all right, Michigan's just really good, and, you know, they deserve the one or two spot. And then theoretically, if that's the only loss, you know, Ohio State could, you know, theoretically be still be one of the four best teams and just so happen to lose to this monster of a Michigan team. So uh, it would really help them out, too, if that happened. So, Pete, we saw Georgia lose last year and then avenge the loss, getting in with the loss, but – as an undefeated conference championship game participant, then win the whole thing. So looking at that again, what do you think the mindset is of Georgia and Kirby coming into this game with his players, knowing they got other games after this? I certainly think that they well, they have other games after this, but they don't play until, what is it, December 28th-ish? I can't remember the exact date here. But that's the thing. You go all out because you care about this. You lost last year. You want, you want the perfect season. You know, as much fans are weird. And, you know, they all, all, you know, he won the national championship. Yay, it would have been so much cooler if we were 14 and 0 or whatever. It just, it's silly that way. But uh, I'm sure that's a little bit on the mindset. It's on a little bit of, I think, the, the, the thing with the, the motivational speech becomes all right, you want to compare yourself to last year? Well, last year's epic team with all that NFL talent, it didn't go through a perfect season. Here's your chance to do it. And, I think that should be enough. I think Georgia doesn't have any problems with LSU. The only reason why that game matters, LSU, I mean, sorry, Georgia's in no matter what, but the committee would love nothing more than to put Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Um, and if, let's say, TCU blows out Kansas State, Michigan State rolls by Purdue, then Michigan's the one seed, TCU's probably the two seed, and you, you kind of can't put TCU and Georgia in Atlanta because – then being the TC, two, two seed means absolutely nothing to uh, to have that advantage. Pete Futek, College Football News, as we wrap it up. So, Pete, if we got 12 teams, Ohio State-Michigan doesn't mean anything. 
last week. No one cares. They're both in. It takes away from the magistry of that last game where everything's on the line. So as we're looking at it again in real time, coming into the conference championship games, how do you come to grips with what's going to happen in the future as we look at this today? Well, one, Michigan-Ohio State always matters. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to describe. It's such a bizarre thing. Uh, that it just always, I mean, you could, Ohio State could still get in the college football playoff. They could beat Michigan for the national championship by 50, and there's still a large segment of the Ohio State fan base that would be like, yeah, but it would have been nice had we won that game. It's just the, the rivalry aspect of that makes a big deal. And the other part, too, is they're going to go away from the divisional format in most of these major conferences. So Ohio State, Michigan, while it matters, they'd probably, they'd probably be one of two because they'd probably play again in the Big Ten Championship. And even with all that, let's say it loses its luster a little bit, it's offset by the fact that how massive would it, everyone would be watching uh, Clemson, North Carolina this weekend because the winner of that gets into the college football playoff. If you're a Purdue fan, you're like, wait a minute, we have a puncher's chance here. If we get by Michigan, we get into the playoff. Or a Kansas State fan, you're thinking that too. And then on the lower tier, you know, these teams that are at 11, 12, 13 in the rankings, they, those fan bases are all into it right now because they're looking for, you know, some of these teams to lose. Like if you were a Florida State fan, you'd be rooting hard for Kansas State to get rocked and get knocked out of there. So it would just include so many more fan bases and make all these conference championships bigger because, again, all right, so Michigan-Ohio State loses a little bit of its luster. Okay, whatever. But these conference championship games would just be epic. Two more for Pete Futek as we wrap it up. Pete, you know, in the NBA, when a coach gets fired and he gets hired and gets fired and gets hired again, it's like an open door. They can coach everywhere. It's a, it's a group of guys that hire their friends when they get fired, and they put them on the bench as an assistant, and they build it back again. I call it the regurgitation of the middle-aged white guy traditionally in the NBA. <laughs> Then I see Hugh Freeze going back to Auburn after his transgressions at Ole Miss, and I'm saying, look, I believe in second chances. It happens for everybody. Third chances, okay. But what is this? Because the false report on Lane Kiffin to Auburn, Lane gets a bigger contract, so he should thank John who put out that news as he was ripping him, wink, wink. And, And now we see what's going on with Hugh Freeze. Does he deserve this job? Is he the best coach available for Auburn? Yeah, he's a he's the easiest coach. It's at least surprising thing ever because every SEC program wanted Hugh Freeze back. Why? Forget the transgressions. He beat Nick Saban twice. You know, mm-hmm. forget the fact that you know his Ole Miss teams didn't really do anything. I mean, they were pretty good, but they didn't win any SEC West titles. They didn't go to any championship games. But again, he beat Nick Saban twice, and he was pretty good at Liberty. And he kind of fits the profile, but. You're, you're right. To the point, like, there's, it's kind of a failure of imagination here. And part of the problem now is if you look, you know, if you want to include Oklahoma and Texas, two of the, you know, the teams that are going to join the SEC, you know, you got a 16-team conference here with a grand total of zero African-American head coaches. Like, there's just no, no one's getting a shot, which is why I'm loving the idea of Dion going to Colorado. Yeah, I, I, as a Wisconsin alum, I want a Wisconsin to get him. I mean, there's your – there's your shot for the stars because we proved he could coach at Jackson state. And he's a guy who is going to be amazing on the recruiting trail. And he's just a, a new, you know, kind of energy into the coaching world, which I think that would have been the more fun hire. And I think actually Kiffin would have been the better hire. Honestly, I think he's waiting for the Alabama gig. 
because uh, I sure know that the Red, old Red Elephants Club down there, uh, the Booster Club, would more than love to have uh, Lane Kiffin take over with, when, uh, when it's time for Saban to retire. Last one, Caleb Williams, a lock for the Heisman. How is he not? I mean, there's just mm. nobody else. As long as he doesn't fall totally flat on his face, yeah, he can you're lose. Right. Uh, you he can lose, and he's, I'm sure he's got it. The problem is, who else is there? I mean, C.J. Stroud, he was great against Michigan. He had one pick. He had two, two picks. Well, one of them was his fault, but whatever. He, it's not his fault. He didn't play defense. And he was pretty good in that. He was great all year. Uh, but has he done anything that's truly Heisman-worthy? I don't know. Max Duggan, no one knows who he is. I mean, everyone will watch him play uh, on Saturday, but is the name recognition there. So we'll know Friday night if if Caleb Williams is just okay and USC wins, game over. It's going to be one of the most lopsided Heisman uh, races ever. Thank you, Pete. Really appreciate the great insight. You make it very simple during very complicated times. All the best. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. Pete Futak there. So the game means everything. And there's a lot of good friends here that went to Ohio State. I have friends that went to USC. Katie in the alumni department, I talked to her about this today. The way that Ohio State now gets in, he makes it so simple. Ohio State gets back in if USC loses. I'd like to see USC win. I'd like to see a Pac-12 team, especially with USC leaving, eventually to go to the Big Ten. But that game Friday night is the greatness of the Raiders hosting this game. It's a huge game at Allegiant Stadium, 5 o'clock start. I'll have a Modelo at the torch. You kidding me? I'm not missing a big event like this. Derek takes the snap, back to pass, looking right, pressure, lofts, far corner of the end zone, open receiver, touchdown Foster Morrow! Touchdown Raiders, back right corner of the end zone, he ran under it to grab it from six yards out, and now the Raiders with a chance to tie the game here in Seattle. Jason Horowitz on the call, he's doing a hell of a job, he really is along with Lincoln Kennedy, JT back with you. Brought to you by the 872 Laborers who built the stadium on time, on budget. They did it the right way. Their leader, Tommy White, kind enough to join us. Tommy, two overtime wins on the road, which is really rare in any sport. And now the Raiders are coming home. How excited are you? Oh, really excited. JT, they need to bring that excitement uh, to the stadium this Sunday. Um, I know we got a lot of, we got a lot of tourists in town this week because of the rodeo. And I believe the stadium sold out, mm-hmm. uh, but they need to bring they they need to bring those two games back to Las Vegas, and they need to play like that in this game coming up on Sunday. Hey, Tommy, for those who are listening for the first time or from out of market, explain this phenomenon with the rodeo because you're building all these venues and what you guys do with the infrastructure. And then the rodeo staying here is so important. I was over at Resorts World last night for Luke Bryan, and just to see everybody, the cowboys, cowgirls in town here, it brings a lot of business to this economy. Yeah, it's a, I, you know, the rodeo has been here in town, I believe, all 30 years, and uh, a a couple of years ago, we were afraid we were going to lose it to Dallas. Uh, but, you know, they wind up staying. And, you know, the, the you know the, the rodeo, the tourists that come in for the rodeo, they bring a lot of money to Las Vegas, and they spend a lot of money here. And 
you know, you got Cowboy Christmas going on down at the convention center. That's always packed, and uh, it's it's always just a great time uh, around Christmas time to have the rodeo here. It's a lot of fun. I'm actually going tonight. Awesome. Tommy White, 872 Labors. Tommy, the vision, when you talk to Mark about this and everybody else behind the scenes about building this stadium, were there conversations back then about college football? We got USC, Utah for USC to go to the Final Four. Massive. They have to go through Vegas. And then the news was announced recently that we'll get a Final Four here for basketball in 2028. If you don't start digging down deep, and building this, we don't have those events here. I think that's so important going forward with sports in this town. I, I don't think that anybody really took into consideration back when, you know, we were planning on on bringing the Raiders here, and we were up in Carson City for it, and we were trying to put it all together. I really don't think a lot of people took into consideration uh, how many venues, you know, we'd wind up building and what the stadium was actually going to bring to Las Vegas. I mean, we knew we weren't just going to bring a football team. Uh, we were going to bring a lot of a lot of other um, a lot of a lot of other events to to the stadium. And you know, I mean, look at the proof now, right? So uh, you have Pac-12. Uh, you we got another game uh, in two weeks. Uh, another college game in two weeks. I mean, so, you know, the, the stadium, you know, we're required to have 46 events a year there. And I believe going into 2023, we're going to wind up doubling that. And then probably after that, we're going to wind up uh, probably, probably having at least a hundred events a year at that stadium. And, you know, that stadium has brought so much to, to our state and to Las Vegas and, and, um, you know, you know that when you walk through that stadium, you see all those fans there, and it's not just the fans for the football games anymore. It's the fans for the concerts, it's the fans for the college games. It's it's just the fans all around it. They have a place to go, they have a place to have a lot of fun in, they have a place to spend five hours on a weekend. So, it's just a lot of fun. Tommy, as we wrap it up, I've never asked you this. We've been friends a while. What are your top three events other than a Raider game? At Allegiant Stadium, you love the concerts and all the big events. Has anybody asked you that? What's on the uh, Tommy White Mount Rushmore at Allegiant Stadium? Well, I, you know, I really, I really, really like to watch the soccer games. Yeah, uh, at Allegiant mm-hmm. Stadium, there's such a great turnout. The fans are so into it; it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then I, I guess you know we'd say Raider games first, soccer is second, then uh, the big concerts would be probably be third. And you know, we'll see what else we can get there. You know. Maybe one year we'll have the rodeo there. I agree with you. I think it's really important to talk about keeping things here and having bigger events down the road. You know how much I value our partnership. Look forward to seeing you in the suite. I'll come by and see you Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, stop by, JT. Thank you. You got it. Tommy White there, 872 Laborers. We are the construction city. We are the place for sports. It's happened. Did I predict it? No, I did not. I wasn't a guy 10 years ago banging the drum saying it, but... Because I never thought the Raiders were coming. I wasn't privy to that until everything that went down happened. But with the rodeo and all the other events here and everything that we're talking about. Last night, again, I'm out in town with my wife. And all of a sudden you open your eyes and it's just cowboys. Cowboys everywhere. So we're in doghouse. And I'm getting my wife a beverage. And I'm talking to this cowboy who was asking me about Vegas. And he was in from Iowa City talking about a big job this guy had, man, big 10-gallon hat on. I go, what do you do for a living? He goes, we provide the most farm equipment, heavy equipment in the world. I forget the name of the company. I go, how long are you staying here for? Quote, 12 days. I go, excuse me? 
I go, where? He goes, here at Resorts World. I go, 12 days? He goes, yeah, we're here for the rodeo. 12 days. I'm like, thank you for your support and what you do for this community. I mean, just incredible. Absolutely incredible what the economy looks like here. So, again, we got a big weekend coming up here as the Raiders are home again. Good opportunity. I don't know what the weather is. I'm not a weatherman or weather gal here, but I hope the weather's good for a tailgate. Last couple of tailgates I've been doing in J-Lot with the Black Hole and everybody else, the wind is blowing tremendously. Imagine if those games were outside when it was blowing 25 to 30 miles an hour. Inside there, and then the Hall of Famers that are coming on behalf of Elaine Branch and Cliff Branch is a big deal. As you know, if you've been listening to me for 24 years or 24 minutes, I have a passion for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I'm also very critical of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And you can be like that. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm critical of the Yankees, and I praise them all the time. But what's happening with the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we just had a wave of Raiders go in. Small wave, but going back to Ken Stabler, who passed away, and Cliff Branch, who passed away, believe it or not, they didn't give the family rings. So that's something that Mark Davis was very passionate about as an owner. And he was friends with Snake, and especially his best friend was Cliff. Do you know how important this is going to be on Sunday, everybody? When Elaine Branch gets the ring for the family that Clifford could have been wearing? Now, when I think about Cliff, and I don't want to get too emotional on this, but when Cliff took a picture with you, he put all three of his rings out. And if you know about the history of Cliff Branch and the fire, that he barely got out alive when the fire department got to him. And basically, he was able to get out of his home, which was going to be burned to the ground with his rings. And whenever Cliff took a picture, he would take a ring off, he'd give someone a ring, or he'd put both hands out with the three rings. He's one of six players only in the history of this proud franchise to have three rings. So that's going to be part of the celebration that will be throughout halftime of this game. Now, halftime, you've seen some incredible performances here, incredible performances with artists, music artists. This is going to be different. It's going to be so unique and so different that you want to sit down and take it in. And enjoy it. So get to your seats. Sit down. You know, at a concert, you don't leave during the best song. And at a concert, you don't leave during the best solo, the drum solo, or maybe you do for a drum solo, not guitar solo. But this is worthy of sitting down in your seat and having a great time. I got a bunch of friends who are coming into town. Uh, People are coming into town for USC and Utah, and then they're going to stay through the Raider game. And the town's packed with the rodeo and everything else that's happening here. Tomorrow, we'll have my conversation with the head coach, Josh McDaniels. Looking forward to hearing that. He's in a great mood, obviously. He gave the team a victory Monday. Uh, Clearly, they were able to come back. You'll find out also, you'll find out also in the interview who is here, who is in the building for Victory Monday. Monday's a day off. Victory Monday means you have the day off. Uh, There was one player that he pointed out that was here. I think you probably know who that is, but you'll hear that exclusively tomorrow. And then our conversation with Lincoln Kennedy on Raiders Roundtable. Also, the big news coming up here for USA Soccer as they advance to the round of 16. When you look at all the teams that weren't able to, be, uh, to advance, that weren't able to go on through, it's, it's really hurtful. That, uh, you know, look at this. It's Japan beat Spain 2-1. to one. Croatia, Belgium, 0-0. Morocco beat Canada Two to one. So as we look at the latest table in the round of 16, this is fascinating that the United States is there. So we all have to make a decision on Friday night. Friday night, are you going to shut it down and go to bed and wake up early for soccer? Or are you going to wink, wink, stay up later into the night and be fueled up and ready to go for soccer here on Saturday? 
This is going to be amazing. The teams that are left and the teams that are going to have an opportunity to uh, really show themselves. England, uh, Lionel Messi, Portugal, the teams that are left there, very excited about that. A lot of news in the NFL with Aaron Rodgers. Is Aaron Rodgers going to play? It looks like he is. And we got a couple of marquee games that we'll get into tomorrow in the first hour of the show. Uh, That Kansas City game with Cincinnati is a monster. Uh, We have a game tonight. Is everybody aware that tonight the Bills play the Patriots? Whoa! Wait a second! Look at that game. The Bills and the Patriots tonight at Foxborough. The Patriots win. They go to 7-5. and There'll be a game behind the Bills if the Bills win. They go to 9-3 and as Von Miller is now on IR, which is a big deal. And then the other marquee games, Jets-Vikings. Jets are 7-4. and Vikings are 9-2. and Commanders and the Giants. Commanders 7-5, and five. Big Blue 7-4, and four. Titans and the Eagles, Eagles 10-1, and one, the best record in all of football, Titans are 7-4, and four. and then I think the game of the week, I, I know the Raider game is important, but Dolphins-Niners is the biggest game of the week, that's the Dolphins at 8-3 and three and the Niners at 7-4, and four. how great would it be for the Dolphins to win, but Raider fans want to see an AFC team lose, most likely, we'll get into that a little bit more tomorrow. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Thanks to Dave Ziegler who gave us 20 minutes. And that will be up on old Raider platforms probably sooner than later. Look for that. Kevin Bollinger came in studio with me. Pete Futek from College Football News. And who else did we have? Lee Sterling. Yeah, we had a good show today. We had a lot of guests. But the key was Dave Ziegler with his time here, the GM. We appreciate him. Have a great day, everybody. It's going to be a great night. And then tomorrow, if you're going to the USC-Utah game, Hopefully I'll see you at the torch. Thanks for listening. It's always a pleasure to be inside the Raider facility. Thanks to the entire Raider staff for hosting me. Good to go? All right, travel safely home.